first is as institutions, there's some things that we need to understand. And as I mentioned earlier, student veterans have already gone through a, a, a very important educational experience. We need to be mindful of that. Um, we need to understand that student veterans bring tremendous strengths with them into the classroom. Um, it includes that maturity we talked about. Uh, it's a can-do attitude. It's that focus, that that desire to succeed educationally. There's a love of service that often serves them well in the classroom. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Dr. Glenn DeGuzman. In today's episode, we are discussing student military veterans with our panel of experts, Dr. Philip Morris, Dr. Bruce Kelly, and Dr. Danny Molina, and explore what we should know as student affairs professionals, campus faculty, and administration to best support them in their collegiate endeavor. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for the thousands of us who work in, alongside, and adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays, and you can find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Before we jump into the conversation, of course, we have to acknowledge and thank our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Stylist Publishing. Visit stylistpub.com and use promo code SANOW for 30% off and free shipping. We also want to thank our other sponsor for today's episode, Anthology. Learn more about their innovative data-driven platforms to build faster um, um, student engagement experience platforms. Learn more by visiting anthology.com forward slash engage. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Glenda Guzman. I'm the Associate Dean of Students and Director of Residential Life at the University of California, Berkeley. I use the he series as my pronouns, and I'm hosting this conversation today from my home in Livermore, California, which is the ancestral home of the Ohlone peoples. I'm very excited about this topic because, full disclosure, I have family who are currently in the military uh, and in the past as well. And um, I just want to send a shout out to my cousin, Lieutenant Colonel Philip J. Tadina with the U.S. Marines, who is going to be listening to this podcast. So let's meet our panelists. Um, and so let's go ahead and get started. And um, this is a chance for them to introduce themselves a little bit more about their work that's tied to this. And why don't we go ahead and start with you, Philip? Sure. Uh, Dr. De Guzman, thank you for the introduction. Thank you for allowing uh, me to, to join you for Student Affairs Now. I'm a big fan of the, the show and, and series. Uh, my name is Philip. I'm, I'm an assistant professor at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Uh, I've been working on this campus for about 10 years. I was came here um, and worked as a, a project director, but uh, assumed the role also of the director of our Veteran and Military Student Affairs Center on campus. was very honored to, to serve in that role for about seven years. Um, my, my background, I was in the military right out of high school from 1997 to 2005. I was in the Army and Army National Guard. Uh, had a chance to serve overseas for about two and a half years, including a one-year um, deployment to Iraq with my unit. So uh, glad to be here and glad to sort of chat with these, these folks, find folks about our, our veterans on campus. Glad to have you, Philip. Uh, let's go to Danny, a little bit more about you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, similarly, Dr. De Guzman, thank you so much for uh, inviting us. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, Danny Molina, I'm the director for the Veterans Services Center at University of California, Irvine. And I'm also a U.S. Army uh, veteran and uh, OIF vet. I was there for the uh, initial invasion back in 2003. And 
phenomenal time in the army was for me so transformational and uh, such a, a positive and uplifting experience. Uh, and as a result uh, of my time in service, I benefited from a number of uh, educational programs, chapter 30, chapter 31, chapter 33. And so I uh, uh, have some uh, uh, experience um, using uh, VA benefits as an enlisted veteran. And uh, I've done some uh, some uh, descriptive uh, empirical research around this topic. Uh, my dissertation was based on uh, post 9-11 uh, GI Bill uh, beneficiaries uh, and, uh, you know, attempted to paint a picture of this population early on. Uh, that work continued at the American Council on Education, where uh, I was able, fortunately, to use uh, U.S. Department of Education uh, data through their NCES uh, suite of surveys and instruments. Uh, just phenomenal data set that I was able to capitalize and, and again, continue the work of uh, painting a picture of our post 9-11 era of veterans and, and uh, you know, seeing what we can find, uh, how they think about college, uh, how they approach higher education, decision-making and, and the like. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just uh, again, I'm really, really happy to be here and uh, really excited about this podcast. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts and insights, Danny. And let's go to Bruce. Yes, it's good to be with you all. Uh, and uh, I look forward to our discussion today. I'm Bruce Kelly. I'm Dean of the College of Fine Arts at the University of South Dakota. Uh, that's a recent appointment for me. In my previous role, I was the assistant provost here at the University of South Dakota, uh, where I oversaw our Center for Teaching and Learning, the USD Te uh, Testing Center, and our Gallagher Center for Experiential and Education Abroad. And it was in that role that I began to study uh, how we can better serve our student veterans uh, going back all the way to, to 2011, when uh, I received a FIPSI grant with a couple of, of, of co-workers here, uh, Ernetta Fox and, and Justin Smith, and uh, to help uh, really train our faculty to better understand and serve our student veterans. And so uh, that's, that's a bit of, of where I come from. I'd like to give uh, my father a shout out. Uh, he served in the Army National Guard for a number of years. I have a number of other uh, members of my immediate family that have served in the military, and uh, I thank them and you all for your service. I think we thank them all. Thank you. Uh, let's turn, Bill, let's get you started um, and and kick us off. When, now, when I think about the relationship between military and higher education, um, for me, I personally think about the GI Bill, which definitely, I think, had a huge role in giving veterans access to higher education. But I also recognize and acknowledge that my understanding of that relationship is limited and definitely has gaps. Can you provide sort of like a quick history lesson for, for me and others uh, and our listeners on the relationship between higher ed and the military and how did it evolve? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, it, it really goes back to, uh, well, I think our modern history back to World War I. You know, after World War I, um, our servicemen and women came back and um, they really weren't supported. There was not a great effort legislatively um, to develop a, an education benefits program or a, an, a, an adjustment program, housing program. Um, so when, you know, we had the Great Depression and then World War II, um, our congressional members and our uh, national leadership really had a chance to, to kind of correct that. And so they proposed the, the Service Members Readjustment Act in, 1990, in 1944, I should say. Um, it really provided access to higher education and home ownership for millions of veterans. So it really, a lot of folks credit the, the, the original GI Bill with opening the, the door to the middle class, you know, opening door to 
education, uh, home ownership, and just really giving um, you know this opportunity for development for for all these folks in the late '40s. In fact, um, you know somewhere around 50% of all undergraduates were veterans. Um, we we had an explosion of veterans coming back to to education. Um, state colleges and universities were developing housing communities just for veterans. If you you know, look back at some of those historic images, you'll see, you know, large communities and, and uh, temporary housing that was because it was such a high number, you know, of, of folks that were coming back. Right now we have about 4%, 4 to 6% of undergrads have a military connection. So it's not, not a huge percentage, um, but when, you know, after World War II, it was a, a massive percentage of our students and, and, and really an influx of dollars, not just for our veterans, but our, our campuses really to, to develop you know, program. So there have been multiple iterations of the GI Bill since then. The Montgomery GI Bill um, was a result of, of the Vietnam War and trying to update and modernize the GI Bill. Um, that happened again in, in the early, in the, two, um, the 2000s, 2008. Uh, Senator Jim Webb proposed the post 9-11 GI Bill. Um, that was a huge moment for, for veterans and higher education because uh, the Montgomery GI Bill just covered uh, essentially, uh, a um, it was a payment, essentially just a flat payment that came out to veterans. Veterans would then have to pay the institution for their tuition. Um, Post-9-11 GI Bill really provided a, a whole new model for funding in that the institutions now were getting direct payments from the VA to cover costs of tuition. And then a housing benefit is, going, is now going out to our, our veterans and, and uh, the recipients of the, of the GI Bill, along with a book stipend. So, um, huge update, um, really was, uh, it was needed. Um, the cost of higher education we know has is, is gone up precipitously over the last three, four decades. So uh, post alignment GI Bill was great. And, and you know, that hit around 2009, 2010, we really saw veterans using that benefit. Um, most recently, the Forever GI Bill 2017, uh, that's just a, a slight uh, modification to the post 9-11 GI Bill that allows veterans um, the rest of their, essentially the rest of their lives to use the GI Bill. There, there used to be a delimiting date, 15 years, and then you had to use it within 15 years. But, um, but that changed in 2017. Uh, but the military really has long been interested in developing service members with education. So we still, we still have a, a tuition assistance program for active service members and, and women, um, men and women. So that, um, that's a great benefit. I used that when I was, when I was serving. Uh, you know, the, and, you know, I know that uh, Dr. Molina uh, worked for the American Council of Education for a little while, a little shout out to them. But, you know, for years, they, they have been, you know, really supporting our military servicemen and women with education and translating those experiences to credits and to career um, pro progression and growth. So, um, so there are these sort of legacy organizations out there that have been working on uh, education, you know, for our, for our vets and our, our military members, but, um, but it has modernized. And, and right now I think it's working well, you know, I, I've seen, I started in 2012 working in this space um, and, it, and it has, you know, the VA has adjusted, campuses have adjusted. Um, it's been a really exciting thing to see the number of institutions that are, that have hired the, the correct staff that is really needed for the numbers of vets that are coming back and the, in the, um, uh, the, the amount of effort and time that takes to process these benefits correctly and support our veterans. So um, it is, uh, it's been really encouraging for me in, in, in working in higher education to see that. But uh, I'll, I'll stop there, but 
let Dr. Kelly and Dr. Molinas add anything. Thank you so much for that overview. And I, I definitely agree. I think that, and, and I didn't really, uh, it's helpful to hear that, you know, the evolution of, uh, um, of the organizations and, and the policies as long as, so, so as long as they're keeping up to support the student veterans. And, and the funding piece is definitely one aspect that needs to be addressed, but obviously there's other transition issues before they even arrive. Um, and this, I'm gonna direct this question to, to you, Dr. Molina. Um, student veterans, uh, have unique and diverse challenges as they transition to college. Like many, like many other college-bound students, adjusting just from living at home to college comes with the challenges, but for military veterans, it's a little different. They're transitioning um, to, to be a college student from a different set of challenges. Can you talk about these transition challenges student veterans face when they come to campus, especially uh, things student affairs professionals should know about? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, but just briefly before I do, uh, Dr. Morris, uh, I just can't stress enough uh, how important the original uh, World War II GI Bill was. I mean, it had such a direct impact on uh, almost everything we do in student affairs, right? The, the, the GI Bill benefit uh, worked so well that um, the Pell Grant was created, right? Department of Education looked at the, at the VA's educational portfolio and they say, hey, this is a wonderful benefit. Why not create something for our non-military connected individuals, right? So it resulted in the Pell Grant. Uh, there was such an influx in housing, right? And, and that led to the creation of student housing that we now have at you know, most campuses. I mean, there's so many um, uh, direct benefits that resulted from the you know, almost uh, 8 million uh, half of these 16 million uh, World War II vets that came back, about half of them, right, we know had some type of post-secondary education, whether it was a college degree or some other on-the-job training or, or something to that effect, had such a, a foundational impact on higher education today. I just can't stress enough. Uh, and Dr. Morris did a fantastic job just kind of outlining uh, the, the direct effect it had on, on higher education, which we still do today, right? The Forever GI Bill and some of the modifications. Um, I'm almost certainly sure that uh, the Department of Education and other uh, federal agencies are looking at that very closely and, uh, and maybe looking at the data and what, we, what can we learn from uh, such a, a great benefit that uh, our, our post-9-11 uh, veterans uh, benefit from nowadays. Of course, we're always refining and, and fine-tuning and all that good stuff, and, um, and that's continuing even to this day. Uh, but again, uh, for me, it, it was very impactful. Now, so, so to your question, right, what happens when, when they transition from active duty military, right, into, into higher education? Um, th you know, this was a question that we looked at very closely at the American Council on Education. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, the, the, the lens kind of that I took, you know, approaching the research that I've done was um, that we really need to take a step back because it, the, the military community is much more diverse than just kind of veterans, you know, and, and through my own personal experience, I'd show you a really good example. Uh, as a student veteran at UC Santa Cruz, uh, we were a full-time student with my colleagues. Some of them were in the National Guard and Reserve, right, so the Reserve component, we would, start, we would start the term, and all of a sudden, you know, during that time, they would get called up. Um, they get called up to uh, training, deployment. There was a high deployment tempo at the time, right? OIF, OEF was in full swing. And so they experienced uh, a lot of false starts, 
right? So in, in, in contrast to that, um, I'm, I was a veteran, right? According to the, the way the VA defines a veteran, right? No, no longer had obligations to serve in the military. So then I can focus ideally full-time as a student. They couldn't. And so um, I realized that, you know, hey, look, we're, we're having, we're building research and practices around this population. We really need to take a closer look at how diverse just this population is alone. And so some of that work that I started at, at UCLA earning my, my uh, PhD and that I was really able to engage in at the American Council on Education during my time there uh, is we, we really wanted to kind of unpack this population uh, and first before we look at, you know, how do they experience and, and make decisions in college. And what we found was, uh, was uh, pretty remarkable and it confirmed some of our uh, hypotheses about um, just how uh, military connected students experience college very differently, right? So, so how do you define military connected students? Uh, you know, nowadays it's, uh, I think a lot of folks are more familiar with that term, military affiliated, military connected. And so it, it's just an umbrella term to kind of understand that this is a diverse population, right? We're talking about veterans, National Guard, reservists, uh, active duty and and a growing uh, dependent population, right? So the dependents are these uh, adult children and the spouses of veterans and service members. So, so that's military connected. And, uh, you know, what we found was, uh, I'll, I'll just, you know, one of the key takeaways was, you know, one third of National Guard uh, and about a third of reservists were in, in college were women, while only roughly uh, one in five or 22% were active duty or 21% uh, were women. So there's some clear differences there. Uh, half of active duty folks uh, and reservists are, were racial ethnic minorities or multiracial. We found that National Guard members in college had higher uh, incomes on average relative to folks on active duty and reserve. Another takeaway was um, you know, the vast majority of those military connected students they apply for and receive financial aid very differently, very, very differently. So reservists were more likely, uh, 68% were more likely to receive VA or DOD benefits versus you know, half of their National Guard counterpart, uh, counterparts. Another key takeaway was uh, a large share of those students face life circumstances that can inhibit their success in college, right? 60% uh, among those active duty that were part of the, this data set were, were uh, identified as having four or more risk factors for not completing college. So risk factors, there's research uh, along risk factors that the Department of Education has looked at for many years. Uh, and those risk factors can uh, include uh, being a first generation, being uh, a single parent, uh, being classified as an independent student and, and other risk factors. And so what we found was those on active duty were at higher risk of not completing college. Uh, and then veterans were, uh, you know, followed active duty and, and the like. So, so what I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to build a picture about this uh, diverse population and that they all experience uh, higher education very, very differently. Now uh, for veterans, they're going to be much older than your traditional and and different than even your non-traditional counterparts. And it's that military service that's going to set them apart even more from your non-traditional counterparts is, you know, there, there's, uh, it's just 
the, the, their background serving in the military, they understand their time in, in college is going to be short, especially if they were in the military for, you know, six, eight years. Uh, many of them uh, make it a living and they retire. Um, so uh, they're going to be much older. They're going to be maybe a little bit more rusty when it comes to, uh, you know, higher, uh, completing higher education. Um, so uh, they know their time is short. Now, OIF, OEF veterans, um, you know, and, and let me just briefly define what I mean by OIF, OEF. Operation Enduring Freedom, uh, the campaign in Afghanistan, OIF, Operation Iraqi Freedom, the campaign in Iraq. Uh, and I believe both uh, have to, you know, quote unquote, some degree concluded by now. I think Afghanistan, that campaign, uh, OEF, uh, concluded in 2011, I want to say, and Iraq uh, shortly after. Uh, but my colleagues will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, but I know uh, that that's, you know, pretty much concluded. But another thing that I uh, want to mention is um, mental health, right? And, and transitioning to college, mental health. Now, I want, I want to be careful about uh, mental health and military-connected students because um, we, we want to be careful not to perpetuate damaging stereotypes of this population, right? So, so much of the conversation uh, sometimes can uh, kind of be centered around mental health and veterans and post-traumatic stress, combat stress and the like. And, and, and I do want to acknowledge that that, that, it, that does exist. And there are military veterans, student veterans that can experience some very uh, debilitating conditions. Um, we always need to also showcase that there, you know, veterans are very successful in college. Right. And, and um, so there has to be a balanced discussion with each within your own campus about what are the needs of your military connected students. They may or may not be um, wholly mental health needs. They may be, you know, housing needs or other financial needs, uh, particularly for uh, veterans that transition to foreign institutions if they exhausted their benefits. So uh, I bring that up because, uh, you know, I'm always uh, careful uh, myself that um, I, you know, we, we don't perpetuate those um, uh, discussions because as a student veteran, um, I, I would uh, interact with some of my colleagues that were veterans. And sometimes when we would get in, invited to these studies or to these, you know, um, when such a large focus and part of the culture at, at a campus would be around mental health, it would be a turnoff uh, for some student veterans. So just being mindful of that. Um, some of the other transitional challenges can be uh, around exhausting finite GI Bill dollars, right? The, the GI Bill, uh, any GI Bill, really, that's not a, you know, a infinite benefit, right? At some point, that may run out. And um, what, what I've seen uh, throughout the years is, as an administrator is uh, working at four institutions is sometimes when, they, when veterans make the jump to four institutions, um, they may have exhausted their benefits or they may not have enough entitlement to carry them out through a four-year degree or a graduate education, right? So, um, you know, being mindful that if there's any scholarship resources um, or any grant aid, financial aid, Title IV funding that, um, you know, veterans may be eligible for, you probably want to encourage them to apply um, because you don't want to get into a situation where, you, you know, you're, you're advising a veteran and, and you think like, oh, you know, you've got your GI Bill dollars, you should be fine. And, and that's not always the case. 
And to kind of add another layer to that, um, sometimes a, a veteran may have a family, right? They may have a mortgage or other uh, financial commitments and responsibilities that where they can benefit from uh, financial aid. And um, so those are kind of some of the big uh, transitional challenges that I would say. Another one, and I'll conclude with this, is uh, housing, right? So uh, some type of uh, housing to accommodate and be flexible to their um, situations. They may arrive to your campus outside of your locality, outside of your region. It could be a cross-country transition. And so they don't, you know, you want to have a place where they can land uh, and their probability to succeed is much higher. We know from research that if a student, and I, you know, not just a veteran, but any student, if they live on campus, their probability of uh, college completion and retention uh, is going to go up, right? It's going to be a much higher probability because of the, you know, you're, you're close to campus resources and your, your networks of support. So if, you know, I'm I'm very uh, happy to share that here at UC Irvine and uh, most campuses that I've been in, we have guaranteed housing. Uh, And, you know, back in the day, we were among the first, uh, you know, one of our highlights, but nowadays I think, uh, most campuses should have some type of housing uh, policy so that um, student veterans can live on campus and be close to those resources and be more likely to succeed. Um, just be mindful, it, you know, veterans, again, as I'm, I was uh, painting that picture, they're going to be much older. So, you know, think about the dorming versus the graduate and family housing, I think is going to be more aligned with um, um, what they want to do maybe in, in college and how, um, you know, how they want to quickly kind of, you know, experience um, college life and then, you know, move on to the labor market or graduate school. And so I'll end there and uh, hopefully uh, it, it's enough to kind of uh, digest on and, and consider. Oh, I think you hit a lot of really good points, Dr. Molina. I keep thinking, uh, I appreciate you actually shedding a spotlight or putting a spotlight on even the diversity within uh, the uh, uh, military connected, right, students. Um, and then I also, you know, I'm a housing person. And so just understanding and, and those implications around housing, financial aid, I think th- that definitely um, is, is a, a reality for many folks. And, and actually something that I didn't even think about, all, I mean, we think about it, but I'm glad you raised it around mental health and just being careful about making those assumptions. So you know, obviously, these are a lot of the transition challenges coming in, but, but coming to co- once you're at the university and once you arrive, there's new challenges that await. Um, so this question is for you, Dr. Kelly. Um, you know, for me, in, prepara- in preparation for this conversation, I became aware of some statistics that indicated that, you know, once students, veterans arrive on campus, half of them don't feel connected on campus, and then another third feel judged for their affiliation with the military. Why is this? Well, that's a great question. And uh, I'm just going to say thank you uh, to both Dr. Morris and Dr. Molina, because a lot of what I'm going to say is going to bounce right off of of what they did. And I appreciate so much. You know, in a podcast like this, we're going to talk about some generalities, but uh, it's again, it is really important to note that our uh, our student veterans, our military affiliated students are individuals. And one of the things that I learned as a person who has not been in the military, uh, as I got to know our student veteran population, is how incredibly diverse that population is. Uh, and so it's important for, for uh, universities and colleges to understand that. I will also say that depending on your location, uh, you will also 
often have a um, a predominant type of military-affiliated student. Uh, you know, if you're located next to a, a base, you may have students that are affiliated with the, the branch of service, you know, that is at that, that base. Uh, I know, uh, we know from our research uh, here in South Dakota that a lot of our students are, are affiliated with one of the Guard units, National uh, Army Na- National Guard or Air National Guard. And, and, and those differences matter, too. The experience of someone that's in the National Guard is different from uh, someone who's in the reserves, is different from someone who's on active duty. And so there's a, a lot of understanding that needs to happen as, as we look to try to serve uh, our student veterans and our military-affiliated students. So to get to your, your question, um, and again, I'm just going to bounce off some of the things that Dr. Molina said. One of the things that, that we have really tried to focus on as we have trained our faculty and staff uh, is, is that members of the military are coming to us already having had a formidable educational experience. It's not like higher education is the first thing, you know, the the first time that they've been asked to learn. The military does a really effective job of training and teaching its members. And so uh, that's one of the things that faculty and staff need to to understand. In addition, um, there's there's differences in, in, in how military training occurs and how learning happens uh, in, in the educational systems in higher education typically. And again, there's going to be some generalities here. But if you're talking about uh, student veterans not feeling uh, quite connected, um, you know, one of the easiest ways to think about this is to think about the difference between a typical classroom environment and a military briefing. And if you've never experienced a military briefing, um, then uh, one of the things that we did is uh, working with our student veterans center, we asked our student veterans to do faculty training and run it as if it were a military briefing. And boy, did that open up faculty eyes. Um, they all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, I, I get what the, what the differences are. That was a fantastic opportunity. And by the way, I will say one of the most effective things that we did throughout uh, our work with, with faculty was to involve our student veteran population, just bring them into the conversation, bring them into the training. Um, they're people with a ton of experience and they were more than happy to kind of, oh, they were more than happy to run our faculty through a, a military style briefing. Uh, they enjoyed that. Um, so, you know, th- there, it's important to know the, the differences. Uh, the training that our, our um, uh, military students receive has installed them, instilled in them a sense of identity, a sense of purple, purposefulness, and a sense of pride. And in higher education, we don't always do a great job of that. And so there's a difference there. Um, and again, that contributes to that lack of connectedness. And then also, uh, uh, students in the military are taught to be goal-oriented with a respect for discipline. And that can be at odds with your typical uh, you know, 18-year-old uh, uh, first-year student uh, who is perhaps not as... as uh, respectful of discipline and, and uh, you know, kind of classroom decorum, those types of things. And so one of the things that we talked about in, in the book that we wrote was this idea of cultural incongruities that, uh, that student veterans must kind of work through. And, um, and so that includes this idea of military is very hierarchical. Higher education is not always hierarchical. It's not always easy to determine, well, who should I see for this problem? In the military, that's generally spelled out pretty well. If I have this type of problem, I go see this type of person. In higher education, it's not always the case. I think we're getting better at that, in part because we're trying to serve our student veterans. And as with most things in terms of universal design, 
you help one student population and it, and it, it ends up uh, helping a lot of different types of student populations. Um, uh, as Dr. Molina uh, mentioned, uh, our student veterans are often a different age than, our, than their cohort. And so they're mature in some ways that uh, uh, are not reflective of our more traditionally aged students. In addition, they've often had significant life experiences, including firsthand international and cross-cultural experiences that our other students just don't understand and, and, and don't get. Um, uh, again, uh, they may be married, may have children. Dr. Molina mentioned that. But what that means is that some of these, you know, inclusion types of activities that we run for student affairs that are geared towards the, uh, uh, again, we love our traditionally aged students uh, and, and, and we want to serve them. But some of those types of activities uh, just don't sound like fun uh, or don't sound like something that I want to participate in if I'm a student veteran, five, six years older than everybody else. Um, and, and, and with just a different type of, of life experiences. So those all contribute to the, the feeling of um, uh, kind of not being connected. I'll also mention, again, uh, bouncing off of what Dr. Molina said, um, uh, our w- women veterans often experience that, discontu- uh, that, that discontinuity in ways that are different than our male veterans. And I think that it's important for us to understand that uh, to a better extent than we do. And then in terms of, of feeling judged, um, you know, I, I, I hope that this is getting better. I hope that we are not harboring the same type of stereotypes about the military that we did 20 or 30 years ago. But I know that we do have faculty that, um, that sometimes harbor those, those stereotypes. Um, it may be just because they're not familiar with military systems. Uh, it, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not, um, you know, active, but it's it's kind of this unintentional, passive uh, t- type of, of setting up type of atmosphere that makes our student veterans feel judged. In the same way, uh, because they feel disconnected from their peers, they may also feel judged by their peers. And and so that's one of the things that we have to work on. Thank you for that overview. You know, it, your, um, your example about the uh, military briefing versus the classroom, that's phenomenal. It made me think about an experience when I used to teach a leadership class at my current institution, UC Berkeley. And, uh, and a big part of that class was trying to bring in diverse perspectives from student leaders. And I was very intentional in having military connected students on that. And, and, and when we do engage in these type of leadership activities, they can be very conceptual, very holistic, and sometimes not very direct. And one of the, the, the uh, pieces that we did in, the, in a leadership program was to, uh, and speaking with the, the students who identified as student veterans, right, we had them um, bring in some of their examples to tie into some of the more conceptual pieces, so direct input. And I found that got them really connected to the curriculum better, knowing that they felt like they can contribute to the conversation. It is a very different style, and I, I do appreciate you bringing that up. Um, Danny, I want to return back to you. Uh, so, so uh, you know, we think about some of the direct services, um, uh, and, and, you know, obviously you are um, in, the, in the student veterans office. So can you tell me more about some of the best practices uh, for a student veterans office? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so some of the uh, best practices, right? Um, we we're very fortunate that here in the uh, Southern California region, uh, we are able to work with uh, Dr. Marshall Thomas, and so uh, Dr. Uh, Thomas has what's called a VetNet Ally Seminar, 
And uh, typically it's about a four hour seminar. Um, I believe now they're obviously the, the pandemic, uh, probably a virtual seminar, uh, but the in-person one was uh, phenomenal. I've uh, experienced it a, a few times. Uh, that's always uh, one of the recommendations that I have in terms of like, what are some good practices to inform uh, faculty and staff on how to engage and not, and, and not engage with, uh, with veterans and other military connectors because there's some language you, you can use that's okay. Other language, not so okay, right? Um, and so he, he gives a deep dive into uh, the background of being in the military and rank and structure and what are some of the experiences that folks go through in the military and then kind of walks folks through um, what they may experience in higher education and, and um, what we can do to help them. So I always recommend VetNet Ally uh, to Dr. Marshall Thomas. He's uh, now uh, was at Cal State Long Beach as director of the Vet Center, and now he's in the chancellor's office. Um, and so feel free to reach out to him. Psych Armor is another wonderful resource. Uh, we actually have it on our website. Um, Psych Armor, that's uh, P-S-Y-C-H, uh, and then Armor, A-R-M-O-R. Uh, they have a number of um, courses for like, higher, higher education professionals, uh, you know, 15, 15 things veterans want you to know, academic accommodations. They have advising military students in higher education, uh, just a whole number of other courses. And some of those instructors are phenomenal. I've worked with um, some of those instructors in the past, and they're just, they're they're veterans themselves. They're just really technical experts in, in the area. So I highly recommend uh, Psych Armor. And then some of the literature, right? Uh, Call to Serve, I think, is a staple. Uh, you know, a handbook on student veterans of higher education. Uh, I believe Corey Ruman was one of the lead authors there. Um, and Corey uh, was, uh, I believe, is still at University of Nebraska at Lincoln uh, fr from the last, uh, last time I spoke with him. And it's a, it's a great book. Uh, and it talks about uh, some of the issues we're talking about, uh, obviously in much more detail. The ACE Toolkit for Veteran-Friendly Institutions. So the ACE Toolkit, which I helped manage when I was at ACE at the American Council on Education, was uh, really a, a kind of depository of really good practices that any institution can share, right? So you created an account, you you. Uh, uploaded your like orient your summer orientation for your campus so that hundreds and hundreds of other campuses across the U.S. can look at and use as a template, maybe contact you to get more information, anything about housing, anything you had related to serving military connected students. This toolkit, um, now that it's retired, basically um, took all of that knowledge and synthesize all that. And it's free. You, you, you can Google ACE Toolkit for Veteran-Friendly Institutions, and you have that summary at your disposal. And it's really good information there that I recommend for folks to uh, take a look at and um, uh, consider implementing at your campus. And then obviously, uh, some of the work that I did at the American Council on Education, the Military Connected Undergraduate Study, I think has some really, really good takeaways. And, and again, uh, painted a picture of uh, what our population uh, experiences in higher education and how to how to really better understand again how a reservist when you're engaging with somebody in the reserve component how you may want to advise them versus somebody who's on active duty who's you know active full time service member that they're probably on TA like Dr. Morris mentioned right tuition assistance 
and um, they are probably going to be only there for a finite time while they either go on training or, um, you know, PCS elsewhere. Um, I, and then lastly, I'll say, um, if you have a veteran center, veteran's office, you know, I would engage with the, the staff there, right? Um, they're going to be able to, um, you know, walk you through their population because, you know, campuses are all, they're all different, right? Um, walk you through their population and, you know, talk to you about like, hey, here's some of the, here's how we can work together in, in student life. Here's what we can, um, you know, do to uh, better understand and, and support our, our military connections for camp, each campus, right? So good example um, with Dr. Morris, you, uh, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, you have four Carsons, like right down the street. So, you know, I would imagine you're going to have a lot of folks on active duty and even the dependents, right, who are, who are benefiting from chapter 33 and others. We really don't have any military installation close to UCR Prime. Um, so we don't, you know, obviously our, our population will, will probably look different than, than his campus. But um, yeah, so those, some of the recommendations that I offer in terms of uh, engaging with the vet's office and student affairs. Yeah, and if, I'm, if I might just j- jump on there, Dr. Molina, um, we, we've had success. Um, so I, I like to tell a story, like a development story on our campus, because we, um, I mentioned 2010, the, the, the really the, that's when the post 9-11 veterans showed up. We had to, all the campuses had to adjust to this whole new veteran benefit process and a whole lot more veterans coming back. Um, so we started with, uh, you know, a small staff, a small office. Um, we, um, one of the things that I did when I was, when I started the position, um, we immediately connected with our university advancement and, and thinking about how do we support beyond just our traditional funding sources, uh, new staff lines, new, new, posi- new positions, new initiatives, um, you know, supporting student scholarships, you know, all, all of the growth and development. So we started small with USAA, a, a grant. Um, we got J- we worked with JP Morgan Chase, worked with our uh, the Anschutz Foundation here in Colorado. And, and, um, and so uh, and I saw this across the across the country. You see it across the country: family foundations, major corporate uh, uh, donations, and, and uh, you know philanthropy arms that want to support veterans. Um, I I always like to mention that that one as well because you know there there has been a wave, there has been a, um, you know a, a opportunities out there for folks that want to support veterans. And this on campus is a, a, found, a fantastic place, you know, for a family foundation or. A, you know, corporate foundation to do that. So, so that's, an, that's another one that I think has been successful for campuses. And I would suggest any new student affairs professional working with veterans, you know, think about that. Think about how can we partner, you know, partner with the local uh, coffee shop to offer coffee for the veterans on campus. You know, um, those are all things that we, you know, we kind of work through. Um, the first year is so important. So, um, you know, uh, Dr. Molina, you, you worked at the University of U- UCLA Higher Ed Institute, the Institute for Higher Education. You know, they have their first year uh, uh, survey, right? That's a huge initiative. They run that for probably 50 years, thinking about what what is that, what is those really important things for all first year students, you know, in, in their first semester and in, in that retention survey. Um, so the same thing I think is true for adult continuing students that have co- are coming back and have been away from school for a long time. You know, so I think about orientation, um, making sure that we bring them in, give them a warm welcome, make sure they know where, you know, where to go for services and help and and connecting things like the wellness center um, to to the veteran center. 
Um, we, we did a, a broad initiative on our campus to uh, connect wellness points across campus. So we eliminated any fees for, for uh, individual group therapy for veterans. We, are, we had grant funding to, to knock that out. We take our first year seminar for veterans to the wellness center and we introduce them to all the services and the, the counselors and thinking about mindfulness and sleep health and all these different sort of aspects of wellness that we, we make sure that they understand, you know, how to be well as students and how to really integrate uh, on campus. Um, so that first year is really important. That, that's one thing that I would say any, you know, any new outfit or new student affairs professionals going to work with veterans, you know, think about making that connection, even as they're transitioning out before they're even your student, like what are the services, what are the things that we can do for you on this campus to help you reach your goals essentially. So, so that I would, I would add that one as well. Thank you, Dr. Morris and Dr. Marlena for just that overview and providing some of the the best practices and resources and suggestions as well. Um, I want to go back to something, Dr. Kelly, you said earlier, you, you, you threw some love to some of your, uh, um, your colleagues. I know with, along with Justin Smith and Ernetta Fox in 2013, uh, you wrote a book, Preparing Campus for Veteran Success. Um, so fast forward to 2021, um, what, what's still relevant? What are critical and essential actions campus leaders and administrators must do to support veterans in order for them to be successful? Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, and and we we chose that title for two reasons. The first is the way that you took it, but the second one is preparing your your campus for veteran success because they're going to succeed as a whole. So your campus better prepare be prepared for it. I mean, you know, um, and so I, I, we've already heard a lot of great ideas that are still relevant today. Um, the the first is as institutions, there's some things that we need to understand. And as I mentioned earlier, student veterans have already gone through a a very important educational experience. We need to be mindful of that. Um, We need to understand that student veterans bring tremendous strengths with them into the classroom. Um, It includes that maturity we talked about. Uh, It's a can-do attitude. It's that focus, that, that desire to succeed educationally. There's a love of service that often serves them well in the classroom. Um, and, and again, these, these, these experiences that they've had, they've had life experiences that other students don't have that they can use to inform their learning. Uh, and so it's important for, uh, institutions to understand the strengths that, uh, student veterans, uh, come, come with. And then, uh, as we're hearing, uh, institutions should find ways to get feedback from their student veterans. You, you know, at some in some ways, you need to either uh, uh, have focus groups or you need to have a dedicated uh, 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 staff member that is that's reaching out to the student veterans. What do your student veterans say about your institution, so that you can begin to to really address the challenges uh, that need to be addressed? And and sometimes they're challenges on our end, not their end. And, and that we need to be the ones that are moving. Um, and so to that end, uh, I think it's really important to have faculty and staff training programs. Help them understand what the military is, who our military students are. Help them to understand the diversity of it. Help them to understand what our student veterans are bringing with them. Um, all of these things are, are truly important. Um, in terms of physical and personnel resources, it's it really is best if you can have a dedicated space that veterans can call their own staffed by folks who have been in the military or who deeply understand the military 
And I just think that that's really important. That was one of the outcomes uh, from our own research. Uh, we were able to create a Student Veterans Resource Center here on campus, and it has made a huge difference for our student veterans. Um, as noted, admissions office should have someone who fully understands the military's educational processes, should know benefits inside and out, who understands how end of deployment cycles impact uh, National Guard, Reserve, regular military. You, you know, you really need to have someone in, in admissions and financial aid that are that are clued in to, to the, the challenges that student veterans face in that end. Um, also, veterans resources should be easily accessible and readily found on the institution's website. You shouldn't have to, to dive, you know, 20 links in to, to find out, uh, you know, who is my veteran service officer and, and how do I figure out who to talk to to get my benefits. And then lastly, I'll just say in, in terms of processes, institutions need to make sure that administrative processes are clearly explained and that students are clearly told who to see and what to do. Now, this is true for all of our students. But again, in the military, there's often literal checklists. Okay, what, I, what do I need to do to do this? You, you do this, check. You do this, check. You do this, check. In higher ed, we haven't always been good about that. And so to the extent that we can, we need to develop that type of very just specific explanations for how to get things done. How do I drop a class? How do I access my benefits? How do I use the electronic bookstore? How do I, you know, all of these things. Um, I, we need, students need to know how their, their military credit is going to transfer in. You know, ACE has done a really great job of, of trying to help institutions figure that out, as, as has been mentioned, but you need to have someone at your institution that knows and, and can help student veterans better understand how are those credits going to transfer in. And then finally, um, you, as an institution, you need to have clearly identified and well thought out policies that take student veterans into account. So for example, can veterans be exempt from mandatory first-year housing uh, rules? You know, that's really important. Um, do absence policies uh, address, uh, address, for example, National Guard training dates uh, uh, or, or, mili- uh, uh, or uh, VA appointments, things like that? So uh, universities just need to look at their processes and say, okay, are we accommodating our student veterans' needs uh, as we're developing these? Thank you, Dr. Kelly. One of the cool things about Student Affairs Now, just even in this call, I have heard so many wonderful resources that y'all mentioned. Um, obviously, Dr. Kelly, your book, uh, Dr. Molina, you mentioned Called to Serve, um, the organization ACE. We're going to put this all on our website. So I know for the listeners out there, um, just code to studentaffairsnow.com. You can check out the, um, the resources and, uh, that I think I definitely want to actually want to learn more about psych psych armor as well. So that, that's just really interesting to hear about that. I've never heard of that before. Um, let me turn back to Dr. Morris. You know, I think this is a, a question that uh, was posed to me by someone in my institution. Over the years, um, there has been tension between colleges and universities in the presence of military recruiters on campus. Um, and speaking to my colleagues, speaking to student veterans, um, this does impact them. Why the tension and what type of awareness would you want the next generation, the current generation, the next generation of student affairs professionals to have? Sure, sure. So, um, so I would say that well, first, first, I'll just really quickly, I want to um, just follow up on Dr. Kelly and Dr. Molina's ta- um, conversation about training for faculty and staff. Um, they work. So uh, I, we, we impl- implemented a program in 2013 um, and Probably in 2015, I think we, we started collecting data on this. Um, and I, along with some colleagues, 
uh, did a, a formal study on the, on the efficacy of our military vet ally training. Um, and we, we learned that the statistically significant results over time in terms of growth on a set of competencies. Um, we have qualitative feedback from, uh, from faculty and staff who took the training months, you know, months after the training um, have provided about things they've done in the classroom to change. Um, and that, so that research is, is uh, being published. It's just about to be published in the Journal of Continuing Higher Education. Uh, so that is, uh, and we also talk about the challenges just for all the student affairs folks out there interested in efficacy and assessment. Um, you, know, you know, how do you, how do you evaluate a, a training session? So it's a two hour session, four hour session. Um, what are the ways that we can look at long-term impacts and, and, and changes on campus? So um, things like ceiling effect for a quiz, that's one thing we ran into because, you know, you, you, if you take a quiz that's a required training um, online and, and, and you have to score 80% or higher, um, you can retake it. So it doesn't really, so in that sense, is it really um, capturing the, the knowledge and competency that they gained if they're allowed to retake it? So things like that, um, we cover in that article as well. So a little plug on that. So, but your, your question, Dr. De Guzman, was about, um, you know, this, this conflict between military recruiters and, um, you know, maybe uh, the, you know, military ROTC components on campus and the general population. Um, I think, in the, you know, given the, the nature of po the post 9 wars, the global war on terror, um, it has been really relegated to a very small proportion of our population. One to, one to two percent of adult Americans have served in the military post 9-11. Um, so you really have um, I think a, probably a lessening of that sort of tension that can happen with recruiters and the protest culture and the activist culture around war. Um, you know, we, we don't see that much in our camp. We, I, you know, I've been working here. It's a very military community, Colorado Springs. Um, we just don't really have much of an activist war cult, you know, culture here, but I don't think that's uncommon. I think maybe certainly at Berkeley, it may be a little different, you know, and certainly Dr. Guzman, it's a different culture there by, by far. Um, but I think it's really interesting to think about, um, you know, this, this uh, sort of di divide or, or um, disparity between those who serve and those who haven't, you know, in, in all of, the, of our trainings on campus, and I'm sure Dr. Molina, you've seen this, Dr. Kelly, you know, this term, thank you for your service, right? Thank you for your service. It, it comes up a lot. And we do these, these training sessions and talking with, you know, having our, fac our student veteran panel talking to our, our faculty and staff. Um, it, it, it's kind of symbolizes like this divide and, and this sort of, we, we don't have to serve. So we, we, we appreciate your service. Um, so we say, thank you for your service, which isn't inherently a bad thing. It's, it's a, it's an expression of gratitude. Um, but I think for, for veterans and, you know, career military members that have deployed multiple times, you know, it, it sometimes can feel empty. It can feel like, you know, not a, not a, a legitimate or genuine engagement. Um, and so I think, um, you know, back to, to the question about this, this tension on campus between like recruiters and things. Um, you know, I think the only time I've seen that is, is on our campus, at least has been other veterans, like student vets that are, that are activists. And we do have that. And they are, they are, um, you know, really adamant about, you know, correcting some of the things that they saw wrong with the policy, the foreign, foreign policy around uh, the invasion of Iraq and things like that. So, um, so that's the only time that's really happened on our campus. But but it, it, the question really made me think about, you know, that divide and that, that sort of tension there around those who serve and those who don't. And how do we, how do we share that experience with, with our faculty and staff and our just community in general? 
Um, I have a, I'm, I'm just going to give a plug for this book. It's, it's called uh, Grateful Nation. Um, I don't think my, it, it's um, Student Veterans and Rise in the Military Friendly Campus by Ellen Moore. I don't know if you guys, anyone else here has read that, but she digs really deep. It's a really great ethnography on the, the student veteran experience, but she really digs really deep into that, that concept of, you know, how, how are student veterans perceived and, and their, um, do they, do they perceive like a genuine, like, appreciation or is it very surface level in that way so uh, i'll stop i'll stop with that thank you for that and we'll definitely put that book onto the resource page for people to check out um we are at our final question we're, we're running out of time and so um i this podcast is called student first now um and so i want you to think about some of the things maybe we didn't cover or we covered today so federal policy access to education, funding, support services, or something even your, uh, one of you mentioned and you just heard on this, on this uh, conversation. Um, and if each of you could take a minute or two um, to summarize what are you pondering, what are you questioning, what's still troubling you now? And um, I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have, I believe in the order, it's uh, Danny, you're up first. So Dr. Molina, you first. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, I think uh, I, I was really intrigued by the the pre-discussion, right, around uh, what's next for the armed forces. Obviously, everybody's got to get the, out of the military at some point, so they'll gain that veteran status, right? What's next with, uh, you know, cyber warfare, right, I think is, um, is uh, you know, the the big talk right now, right? How, how will that impact uh, the active duty folks now? think it's going to be more directly and more immediate, but, you know, mid to long term, our veterans, right, how are they going to be uh, impacted, right, and and so uh, particularly for if they go into higher education, right, so um, I think uh, campuses and those experts, right, the technical experts and, and um, scholars around this area of cyber uh, terrorism and cyber warfare, you know, how do you capitalize and maybe even work with um, the uh, basic and applied uh, defense research, right? How does that, you know, how is that going to work out? Uh, you know, World War II, after World War II, Office of Naval Research and a number of other uh, defense uh, units uh, worked very closely with higher education to combat everything that needed to be addressed in that time. And so, and, and, a, and a number of really good developments uh, came from that partnership, that work, right? So, so uh, you know, that is always encouraged, right? When, when that, uh, especially as, as uh, emerging or continuing uh, issues uh, are coming up. And so veterans, you know, I, I think they're very um, set up very nicely to, uh, to support those type of efforts, right? The, in the, you know, being in the military, they kind of understand how to navigate large institutions and bureaucracies and how to, and, and, you know, to kind of couple that they uh, are um, always so proud of their service. Right. And, and most of the time when you ask a veteran, if they would do it again, even if they had a bad experience, they will tell you absolutely. Uh, they would do it again. Um, and I think there, there's something there. There's something about um, you, People that serve in the military, they're so tied to the um, the spirit of the country and the success of our nation. And I feel like, you know, when people get out, that some of them may be looking 
to continue that, right? That contribution. So, uh, so I'll end that there, but I, I think there's something to look at both from an institutional perspective, partnering with defense, but then also for our veterans so that they, there may be opportunities in higher education to, uh, you know, contribute to, uh, to that partnership. Thank you, Dr. Molina. Dr. Kelly, what's on your mind? Well, I, I'm also going to bounce back to some of our discussion uh, before we started uh, our, our official podcast. And, and that is we were having a little bit of a conversation about the, the creation of the Space Force. And, and so just very quickly, what I'll say is the military is going to continue to change. As Dr. Molina was saying about cybersecurity, the military is going to continue to change. As it does, higher education must also continue to change so that we can continue to serve our student veterans. Thank you. And Dr. Morris, close this out. Sure, yeah, thank you. Thank you uh, so much, Dr. Gizman, for the opportunity. Um, you know, my, one of the things that I was thinking at, along with Dr. Molina and, and Dr. Kelly about the sort of our modern uh, defense mechanisms and how that will change our, our the military experience. And, um, you know, the, the military is diversifying tremendously. So um, I think I read between 2010 and 2017, um, there was like a 20% uh, growth in, in uh, individuals of color serving in the military. Um, so we have a very diverse, as we mentioned, we mentioned this a few times, it's an extremely diverse group. Um, there's, there's an opportunity now for folks um, with, uh, that are transgendered or, you know, different, different identities to serve. And, you know, that, that has been a, a change, you know, um, since Don't Ask, Don't Tell, there have been some significant changes in the military to be more inclusive and accepting. And, and so that's encouraging to me. And I think that, you know, we, we met, we're going to see more diverse identities that come in as student veterans. They're not all going to look like me. You know, my demographic is probably the most, most dominant, but that's not going to be the case forever. So, um, so that's encouraging. And, um, and I would say, um, you know, I'm also wondering about, you know, the, the pandemic has changed all of, all of us in thinking about distance education and hybrid education and how the VA will continue to support, you know, student veterans that, that are living, you know, in, in Colorado that want to study in California for that, for example. So, uh, you know, I wonder about those things as well in terms of distance education. Um, but, you know, while curbing the influence of the for-profit sector, which I won't go further into that in this for a different podcast, <laughs> but, uh, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. So, so thank you for the opportunity. And I want to thank this entire panel. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Danny Molina, uh, Dr. Philip Morris, and Dr. Bruce Kelly for being my guests today. Um, Dr. Morris, special shout out to you for outreaching to Student Affairs Now. I know you're a listener, so with the topic, this was something that our team definitely wanted to do, and so thank you so much for doing that. It's a reminder to our audience, if you have a great topic, bring it to our attention. Uh, I want to thank Nat Ambrosi, who does all the behind-the-scenes work to get these episodes prepared, transcribed, and aired. Thank you. Um, and I need to definitely do the full shout-out to our sponsor. Stylus is proud to be a sponsor for Student Affairs Now podcast. Browse their Student Affairs Diversity Professional Development titles at styluspub.com. Use promo code SANOW for 30% off all books plus free shipping. You can find Stylus on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Stylus Pub. Uh, this episode is all sponsored by Anthology. Transform your student experience and advance co-curricular learning with Anthology Engage. Uh, with this technology platform, you are able to easily manage your student organization 
efficiently plan events, and truly understand student involvement to continuously improve your engagement efforts at your institution. Learn more by going and visiting anthology.com forward slash engage. Uh, to our audience and listeners, thanks for joining us. If you're listening today and you are not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com and scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to our MailChimp list. While you're there, definitely check out our archives. We are continuing to grow. And again, we've surpassed um, unbelievably the number of downloads for our show has been just truly amazing. It tells us that um, you, you are listening and you are definitely outreaching to us. I'm Glenda Guzman. Thanks for spending time with us today and listening or watching. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Wherever you are, go out and make it a good day. Take care.